0: Good morning, again. You guys can have a seat. We're uh, continuing our our contrast series today, but uh, before we uh, get into it, uh, I'd like to to say a quick prayer for Steve and his family. You may notice that they're uh, not here this morning. He was planning to preach today, uh, but his family's sick. Uh, Like uh, a lot of families have been going through uh, some health stuff, Uh, it seems like uh, there's a stomach bug, there's all kinds of stuff going around, and uh, it was was their turn. So uh, I just want to say a quick prayer for them that they get better quickly and that uh, it's not too miserable, and then we will dive in together this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, the God of all comfort, the God of healing. We know this from scripture and from experience. And, and Father, I just pray uh, for your healing and your comfort over Steve and his family this morning. Uh, I pray that, uh, that that you would bring them quickly back to health uh, so that they can uh, put their, uh, the illness behind them. And, and not just Steve and his family, but uh, all the families we have in and around our church and our community who uh, have been struggling with uh, with all these, uh, these pop-up illnesses and sicknesses that uh, get in the way. They're so inconvenient. Convenient. Father, I pray for your healing and your comfort in our community as well. Um, and Father, I also pray uh, that I don't get in your way this morning and that, that the words that come out of my mouth are the words that, uh, that you intend and, and not the words that I mess up. So uh, it's in your son's name. Amen. Um, so I was, this week I was talking with a friend uh, who had a difficult flat tire. I don't know if you've been there. Uh, he tried changing the tire himself, uh, but the old tire on the car just wouldn't come off the bolts. It was just frozen on. It was stuck on. And it reminded me of all the bad tire-related luck that I've had over the years. I, I, if you've uh, been around Northwest, you've probably heard me uh, tell some of these stories. Uh, there was a time years ago that my family was driving to Disney World uh, in the minivan. And because, you know, you've got to have the minivan, right? And driving to Disney World in the minivan, we woke up at, at, at this hotel in. Some Southern Georgia. Uh, and lo and behold, the tire was uh, completely flat just out in the parking lot. Um, no idea. Uh, so Walmart rescued us on that occasion. Uh, there was another time that I was uh, driving to try to get to my grandfather's funeral, actually. Um, and my tire went flat on the highway on the way to the, to the funeral. Um, and, uh, and so I missed the entire visitation, uh, but was able to uh, get to the funeral like a couple minutes before it started. Um, and a family friend actually did me a huge favor and and left the funeral and took the car to Sam's Club that time, bailed us out and, uh, and got the tires fixed. Uh, there was another time, uh, just recently, just a couple years ago, we, we did a big road trip out West, a big family vacation out West in the summer of 2021. Uh, we put almost 7,000 miles on, uh, the, the van, not the same van, but still a minivan. Cause you know, got to have a minivan. And, uh, And we kept having to fill the air in one of the tires, like, every other day. And then it turned into, like, every single day. And then it turned into more than once a day. And then it turned into discount tire replacing all my tires. So uh, that happened again. And it seems like, and I've talked about those stories before, but I remembered one this week that I I don't think I've ever shared with you. And and I think you'll find it kind of funny. So um, my bad luck with tires also follows me around into other people's cars, um, as long as I'm in the car, the, the tires are in danger. And so it was like 12 years ago, our staff, the staff of this church, was on, uh, at a conference, at a leadership conference in Kentucky. Um, there was five of us, and this time we were in Steve's minivan. It uh, wasn't mine. Uh, again, the minivan. It's kind of a theme here. Um, Steve's minivan, and wouldn't you know it, we blew out a tire right there on the interstate. And, uh, and Steve pulled the car over to the shoulder, uh, and we got to work on the tire, but it would not come off the stupid van. Steve tried to get the tire off, Rob and I each tried to get the tire off, Uh, but it it wouldn't come off, it wouldn't budge. And the situation kind of turned into a bad joke, like how many pastors does it take (laughs) to change a tire, right? The... uh, (laughs) The office manager and the children's minister were smart. They just stayed in the van. But uh, the rest of us were out there on the side of the road, like hammering on this tire, trying to get it off. In fact, while Steve was trying to call AAA, I distinctly remember Rob and I each taking turns laying down on our back and like double kicking at the tire to try to like jar it loose to try to get it off the bolts. And I can't remember who finally got it loose. I can't remember whose kick was the decisive kick. But since Steve's at home, and I'm the one with the, the microphone, and Rob's just down in his seat. We're going to say it was me. <laughs> I was the hero. <laughs> and even though we finally got the spare tire on that day, uh, even though we, we, we were successful, I think all of us secretly were hoping for some help that day, <laughs> that, that maybe another car would stop, uh, or, or maybe a police officer might see us as he was on his way by and, and offer to help us. But hundreds of cars went by us that day on the highway, and nobody stopped. And, and, I, and I like to think that maybe because, that's because it was obvious to everyone, just by looking at us, that we knew what we were doing. <laughs> we had it under control, right? <laughs> I usually turn people down when they, when they offer help. I, I you know, Just you know, transparent moment, I struggle with pride a little bit. But that day, I would have been happy to see a good Samaritan just join us on the side of the road and handle that situation, just kind of take care of it. Um, and that's, that's the story this morning. This morning's contrast message, we're going to look at the contrast between the characters in this story that Jesus told, the one that we call the, the Good Samaritan, uh, and it's in Luke chapter 10. And of all the stories that Jesus told, uh, this one might be the most recognized uh, in the church and outside of the church. Everyone kind of is familiar with this story. Um, but the contrast that Jesus sets up in this story between the characters shows us that there's more going on here than just a simple message about helping others who are in need. I mean, obviously, that's part of the message, but I think there's more to it than that. And so we're going to walk through this story together this morning and, and, and just kind of explore what, what more might there be? What, what's Jesus trying to get at? And so the story begins uh, with this lawyer, this, this expert in the law who asks Jesus a really good question uh, that we find out later he's asking from kind of a bad motive. Uh, And and so here's how it starts. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And so this law expert comes up to Jesus and he asks him a really good question. And Jesus answered his really good question with another question. Because Jesus is always doing that, isn't he? He's, he's always forcing us to kind of engage on a deeper level. He doesn't just answer our question all the time he does this. He asks another question back at us. And, and this guy gives a really good answer to the question that Jesus asks him. He he gives an answer that com- comi- excuse me, combines the command from Deuteronomy 6:5 that the Jews called the Shema with a command from Leviticus 19:18 about not seeking revenge or bearing a grudge but instead loving your neighbor as yourself. It's a really good answer well-versed in the Old Testament scripture, well-versed in the law and in the tradition. It's the same answer that Jesus gives in another occasion in Matthew when someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He, he gives this kind of same commandment. It boils down to love God and love others. And, and so Jesus is like, correct? So just go ahead and do that. Like, do that, and you're good, right? And listen, I, I don't know about you. I, I don't know what your experience with little kids is, I have a six-year-old in my house currently, and she talks, like, a lot. Some might say, like, you know how in Thessalonians, God tells us to pray without ceasing? That's how she talks, without ceasing, even when she's asleep. And because she likes to talk so much, her mouth is usually moving faster than her mind. You ever have that problem? She has that problem all the time. And so when she asks me a question, I try to use this Jesus trick. I ask her one back to try to get her to kind of slow down and think uh, about what she's asking. And, and a lot of the time, when she stops to think, she can answer her own question. Like, she doesn't really have to ask the question. She just likes to hear herself talk, which I understand. I'm the one with the microphone. I kind of like hearing my voice, right? And, and, and she likes that. And so I remind her that she doesn't really need to ask questions that she already knows the answers to, um, You don't need to ask me that question. Just stop and think for a minute. You can answer it yourself. And I think it's the same thing with this guy in the story. He clearly knew the answer to his own question. And so so the question I have is why? Why ask it at all? Why bother Jesus with a question that you already know the answer to? And I think Luke gives us a really important insight. Right in verse 29, when he says he wanted to justify himself. This guy knew that the law said he should love his neighbor, so now he asks the real question, the real one that he came to Jesus to ask in the first place. Who is my neighbor? Or maybe put another way, who do I have to love? And before we judge this guy too harshly, we should probably recognize that we ask the same question on almost a daily basis. Who do I have to love? Because the thing is, the more we can narrow down the answer to that question, the easier it is to claim that we're living the way Jesus wants us to. We might narrow our answer down to, who do I have to love? Well, I have to love those who look like me, racially or ethnically. Or maybe, maybe I have to love those who act like me, morally, culturally. Maybe, maybe it's, I have to love those who think like me, politically, religiously. And if you don't think that you do this too, I want you to think for a second about the way you manage your social media or the way that you take in your news. We gravitate toward people who look like us, people who think like us, people who act like us. And when we don't like our neighbors, we just block them on Facebook. Or or maybe we, we move to a place with neighbors we like better. If it's like your physical, actual neighbors you don't like, you just move, right? And just like this lawyer, a lot of times we're looking for the minimum amount of obedience and the minimum amount of work, but, but Jesus is looking for total obedience from us. And so to answer the second question that this lawyer has, Jesus tells a story, which is another annoying thing that Jesus does all the time, right? He answers a question with a question, and then sometimes he answers a question with a big, long story. And he does that here. And so as we read through the story this morning, uh, I want you to notice Passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So, this road it's talking about, this road between Jerusalem and Jericho, was pretty well known as a dangerous place to travel. It was about a 17 mile stretch of road, and it dropped from Jerusalem to Jericho, it dropped about 3,000 feet of elevation. And so the road was treacherous in places. It was physically demanding uh, to walk, not totally unlike the path that my family took uh, when we were walking through the Grand Canyon. Um, maybe not quite that steep, but th- that was the same idea, right? It was difficult. You had to concentrate on what you were doing so you didn't turn an ankle or worse. And not only that, but, but throughout all those miles, there were caves and crevices for, for people who had bad intentions to hide. And wait for, for victims to, to, to attack on the road. And, and they, they jumped out and they mugged this guy. They they took his wallet and his keys and his phone. They even took his clothes and they beat him and they left him for dead. And after the robbers are long gone, three other men come by on the same road. He didn't have a phone. Just for the record. It's embellishing scripture. I want to make sure you understand, you know, that's not in the NIV. So <laughs> it might be in the message. So <laughs> so, uh, so they, they come along, right, and, on the same road, and the language that Jesus uses uh, to describe these three guys highlights how inconvenient it would have been for them to stop and help. Um, the, the priest, it's like a, a joke, right? A priest and a Levite and they come walking by. A priest, it says he happened to be going by. The Levite, it said he came to the place and saw the guy. And the Samaritan, it said the Samaritan, as he traveled, and so those phrases, all those phrases to describe uh, what these three guys were doing, they all had places to go. They weren't just out for a stroll. They weren't just wandering. They were on their way somewhere. They were, they were headed somewhere. They had a destination. Uh, and you know, It wasn't just about having, a, having this great journey. They were trying to get somewhere. They had places to be. They had something to do. They had, they had somewhere else to be. They were, they're all passing on their way to things they had planned. And stopping to help would have been inconvenient. And that's kind of the deal with needs. They're usually pretty inconvenient. Your tire doesn't go flat in your driveway. Unless you're me, because that happened as well. But usually it doesn't go flat in your driveway. It doesn't go flat when you're right in front of, you know, Firestone. It shreds on the highway at 70 miles an hour and you're in danger, right? Uh, You know, parents, you know, you never get thrown up on at the end of the day, like as you're getting ready for bed and about to put your kid in a bath, you get thrown up on on your way out the door to work. And like you have to run back in and change and, and, and clean up. Um, Your kids are never running a fever on the day that your family has nothing planned and you're just going to be lazy around the house. Your kids are running a fever when it's at the worst possible moment and it interrupts all your plans. The biggest needs in life are usually the most inconvenient for us to manage. And, And look, needs aren't just inconvenient, needs are inconveniently everywhere. We're surrounded by people every day who are half dead and lying in a ditch. I mean, probably not physically, that'd be weird, but, but dying in a ditch, just the same. Ditch is called addiction and abuse and loneliness and pain and mental illness and despair. And we're surrounded by people who need help from someone. So will it be the priest? Our faith tradition, we don't call them priests, but this would be like the preacher. Think of Steve more than, you know, me. The preacher, right? The one who leads the worship service to the one who teaches the word, the one who prays the prayers. So surely the preacher will help, right? In this story? Or maybe it'll be the Levite. We also don't have Levites in our faith tradition, but but this would be like a leader in the church. Maybe an elder or or a member of a ministry team who who regularly serves in the church. So maybe the preacher was too busy, but a good Christian leader is bound to take the time to, to stop and help this guy, right? Well, not in this story. The only one to actually stop and help this guy is, is a Samaritan. And we usually we call this story the Good Samaritan, but, but that doesn't, nowhere in the story is he actually called good. Which is kind of the point that, that Jesus is making. The, the audience Jesus was telling this story to would have found the idea of, of a Samaritan as the hero to be totally offensive. They, they considered Samaritans half-breeds. In the world of Harry Potter, Samaritans are are mudbloods, right? Jews and Samaritans disagreed on almost everything. And just like we can see in our current culture, it really doesn't take long before disagreeing with someone turns into attacking someone, turns into rejecting their entire identity and turning our back on them completely. That's what happened here and it still happens today all the time if we're not careful. Samaritans would attack and, and even kill Jews who were passing through on their way to Jerusalem, and the Jews were all too happy to return the favor. This is degraded into generational violence and, and hatred. And so when a Samaritan comes across this Jewish man who's beaten and left for dead, this Jewish man who is in need, this guy that the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side of the road, it's shocking that he would stop and, and help this guy. They are enemies. He could have easily walked past, like the other two. He had, he had probably more reason to walk past and ignore this guy than the first two did. He, he could have let the guy die, or, or at least he could have just let him be someone else's problem. I mean, you probably don't think, well, like, I'm going to let that guy die, but like, that's not my problem. That's someone, else is, someone else is better qualified than I am to deal with that. We, we have all sorts of ways of rationalizing this. He could have done that. Nobody would have known. Nobody would have blamed him for it. All three of these men saw this guy, but only one had compassion. Only one cared enough to let someone else's need change his plans. Every day we pass people who are hurting, crying out, desperate and broken, needing someone to show that they care, and and we can ignore their condition or we can react to their need. It comes down to whether or not we decide to take the opportunity. Because opportunities to love others are never easy. Not only are the needs inconveniently everywhere, distracting us from the plans that we have made, the the, the things that we have uh, that are pressing in on us, but also the opportunities to love others, they're inconveniently costly. Keep reading the story with me here in Luke 10. He, the Samaritan, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The priest and the Levite, they both saw this man. They saw his need. They recognized that he needed help. So why would they walk away from him? And not just walk away, walk away on the other side of the road. Well, for them, showing love, meeting his need, came at too high a price. The, the cost was too inconvenient for them to pay. Because they both worked in the temple, they had to be really careful about, about not becoming ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, right? Uh, and one of the big no nos uh, in Jewish culture is to be in the presence of a dead body. Now, they didn't know if this guy was alive or dead. They didn't So stopping to help him, if he had, if he had died, uh, being in proximity to a dead body would have made them unclean. And once a temple worker became unclean, he would have to shave his whole body and wash all his clothes before he could become clean again, ceremonial, ceremonially clean again. Man, that's hard to say. And anything he touched while he was in that state of, of uncleanness would also become unclean. And, and he would make anyone else, it would make anyone else who touched it unclean also. So it was a whole big thing in, in, in their culture. And, and some Pharisees even said that if your shadow touched the dead, it would make you unclean. Like, so don't even get close enough to cast a shadow on something dead. So they didn't. They, walked, they went to the other side of the road. They went way around. They avoided the situation entirely because it, was, it would have been costly. It would have been very inconvenient for them. They wouldn't take the risk because the cost was too high. The inconvenience was too much. And I know that we're not worried about becoming ceremonially unclean, I assume. But I mean, we also make decisions on whether or not to engage with the needs of others based on how high we think the cost is going to be, right? How much of my time is this going to take up? How much of my money? And we rationalize that surely, surely there must be someone else who is in a better position to help than, than we are. And that's where the twist comes in. There's is another thing Jesus does all the time. That's where the twist comes in here in Jesus' story. The Samaritan comes along. The enemy. The bitter rival. The person who holds all the wrong political views. The one who constantly badmouths my family online the one i can't stand to be around and even without stopping to think about the cost he sees a need and he jumps in to help he didn't care about the uncleanness he didn't seem to care about sacrificing two full days of paychecks didn't care about the medical bills that might just keep piling up and up and up after that he tore his own clothes that he was wearing to make bandages He gave up his ride, his sweet donkey. He even risked his own travel, his own safety while he was traveling because now he had to travel really slowly down this really dangerous road. And so now he's in danger. Now he's at risk. Because nothing about loving someone else is easy. It's not easy. It's not cheap. Loving loving us cost Jesus his life. But, But Jesus did it anyway because Jesus decided we're worth it. And if we're worth it to God, maybe other people should be worth it to us. So check out how Jesus ends the story. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So when the lawyer asked Jesus his question, who is my neighbor, he was, I think, hoping to kind of narrow down the scope. I think his real question was something like, what's the minimum amount of people I can love and still be okay, like eternally? And with this story, Jesus shows him that he's asking the wrong question. What's the minimum amount of love I can show is the wrong question. Jesus challenges assumptions, cultural assumptions at the time, by making a Samaritan the hero to show that everybody is your neighbor. The guy who's hurt and dying in the ditch, he's your neighbor. The Samaritan, the guy who's your enemy, the guy you hate, who stands for everything that you can't stand, he's your neighbor. This this lawyer Everybody listening to Jesus telling this story would have agreed that the man on the side of the road needed help. That's not the point. They'd be like, "Oh man, that you know that guy—he's you know a dirty scumbag. Good job, like leaving him alone." They would have agreed he needed help. They would have been a little surprised, I think, that the priest and the Levite passed by. They would have expected those two people to help this guy, but when they didn't, I think they would have expected the third person, the hero of the story to be someone who looked and acted and thought a little bit like they did. And Jesus on purpose makes the hero of the story someone else completely. And I think it surprised them. The priest and the Levite passed by, and now Jesus is about to tell them about the expert in the law who saved the day, right? The one who knows the Old Testament commands so well, the one who's just... Like me, the guy who's asking the question. But instead, Jesus makes a deeper point. The Samaritan is your neighbor too. Those in need, they're your neighbors. And those who oppose you and treat you like enemies, they're your neighbors. Sometimes you're the one who's passing by. Sometimes you're the one who stops to help. And sometimes you're the one who's lying in a ditch in need of help. You remember the context all the way back when this guy quoted this command, love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus? The context of that verse all the way back in the Old Testament? It was about not holding grudges, not taking revenge, but instead loving your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you missed the first part of that verse, guys. This generational grudge you're holding, this hate that you're harboring against this other group of people, that's not loving your neighbor. You have to let that stuff go. The Samaritan didn't care if loving his neighbor made him unclean, unfit, unavailable for the opportunities of tomorrow. He chose to love today. He didn't care that the, the mugged man was a Jew who, who may hate him, uh, who maybe had been unjust to him or, or to his people in the past. He knew that, that love overcomes injustice. He didn't care that he would be risking his own treasures, his, his comfort, his, his cash, his plans, he didn't care that he put those things at risk. He didn't care that the bills might keep piling up and the time commitment might last a while. It was kind of open-ended. He knew that, that love comes with a better reward. And listen, Jesus didn't tell this story as a philosophical exercise. He didn't tell this story to raise awareness of the dangers of the Jericho Road. He ends the story with go and do likewise. Go and serve the needs you seek. On the Jericho Road. Go and keep your eyes open for people who might have fallen into the ditch. Go and keep your mind open for ways that God might be calling you to help them. Uh, Mother Teresa devoted her life to caring for those inflicted with leprosy in Calcutta. She once said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for or unwanted, of being deserted and alone. The greatest evil is the lack of love and charity and indifference toward one's neighbor who may be the victim of poverty or disease or exploited and at the end of his life left at a roadside. We all have neighbors who need our help. Needs are inconveniently everywhere. And they're inconveniently costly. But they're always worth doing. Because people are worth it. And in this, in this story, the, the, the one we call the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us three different philosophies on how we can live our life. Three contrasts, if you will. And I will, because it's the name of our series. Three contrasts in how we can approach life. Robbers, thieves, selfishly say, what's yours is mine. They spend their time and their energy trying to take things from other people so they can have those things for themselves. That's one philosophy we can live by. What's yours is mine. The religious leaders in this story, they carefully say, what's mine is mine. They spend their time and their energy building their own portfolio and justifying ways that they can keep their things for themselves. They say, what's mine is mine. But then there's the Samaritan who surprisingly says, what's mine is yours. He spends his time and his energy caring for someone other than himself. And he proves that he is the only one who actually loves his neighbor the way God commands. At least in this story, he's the only one who's actually doing what God has asked him to do. So the question we have to ask, since Jesus forces us to, right, since Jesus says, go and do likewise, and so we have to ask this question, which of these philosophies are we going to live by? Who do we want to be in this story? Do we want to be greedy takers, like these robbers who beat this man, left him for dead, and took what he had for themselves, Do we want to be stingy keepers like the religious leaders who, when things are just too inconvenient, we just won't open up our hands and share, or or generous givers like the Samaritan, holding the things that God pours into our lives with open hands, ready to use them to meet the needs of others, so God's can, God can continually refill our hands so that we can keep meeting the needs of others. That God can use us to bless other people. It sounds a lot like the entire plan of the Old Testament, doesn't it? When God says to Israel, I will, you know, I'm, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to put blessing in your life, not with the goal that you can hoard it, but with the goal that you can bless others with it. That you can stop and meet the need, even when it's inconvenient. Let's pray. God, this is really hard. It's really hard because we're busy. We have responsibilities. We have things that we need to do. We have places we need to be. We have jobs. We have families. There's all sorts of pressing needs, pressing in all around us all the time. And it's really difficult it's really difficult to stop and to take on the inconvenience and to take on the risk to help someone else. And so, Father, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see the needs and hearts to meet them. I pray that we would we would pause instead of just flying by and we would ask, what is it that you want us to do in this situation. And I ask those things in in Jesus' name. See, we serve a a Savior who didn't just teach in parables. We serve a Savior who lived it out for us to see with our own eyes. And kind of in the ultimate way of saying, go and do likewise, Jesus gave his own life to meet our need. Romans says, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, while we were dying, bleeding, on the side of the road, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had a need, a need we could not overcome. We couldn't meet for ourselves. And and Jesus gave up everything he had no matter the inconvenience, no matter the cost, to meet us in the ditch of sin and restore us to health and life to the full. And that's what Jesus offers us. That's what Jesus calls us to offer to others. And so when the tray passes by this morning, I love, I love communion for this reason, for a lot of reasons, but I, lo- I love it for this reason. Because in communion, we are focused on Jesus and what he's done for us, but we are focusing on Jesus together. And it's, it's loving God and loving your neighbor, it's what we're supposed to do. And so Jesus says, yes, you're, that's correct. Just go and do that. So, so keep that in mind as we take communion this morning. His body given for us. And his blood poured out for our sin. Amen. We serve a God who doesn't just tell us what to do. He showed us. And he invites us to follow his example. To look... Uh, Not to look, excuse me, for the bare minimum when it comes to loving others, but to meet needs, even when they're inconvenient, no matter the cost. And so next week we're going to wrap up this contrast series, uh, and then we're going to start our new series. I think I have the card here somewhere. Yeah, nice and small. Called Jesus Christ Superstore. Uh, If you would like to use one of these cards uh, to invite someone, invite a friend or a family member uh, to our service on Easter or to this series after Easter, these cards are available out in the foyer, out in the lobby. You can grab one. Uh, It just says on the back, you're invited to a new series at my church that's starting on Easter Sunday, April 9th, that will explore who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Jesus Christ Superstore. Let's close with one more song today as we're dismissed.